Hey folks, you own firearms? I do. Did you know that there's an easy way for you to let everyone around you quickly see whether your firearm is loaded or unloaded? Meet muzzle stick, barrel, and chamber flags. Muzzle stick, chamber, and barrel flags offer a way for anyone, whether they handle firearms or not, to quickly see the loaded or unloaded status of a firearm. That could save lives. Are you one of nearly 80% of firearms owners that keep a loaded gun out of the safe for personal protection? Well, Taking an extra precaution by using muzzle sticks, big bright barrel, and chamber flags will let everyone around you know if the firearm is loaded or unloaded. Muzzle stick does not recommend keeping a loaded firearm outside of a gun safe, but the reality is that some people do. And a clearly marked gun's status communicates to others around that may not have firearm handling experience and it is something that they would not want to handle. Muzzle stick is not intended to replace the rules of firearm safety. However, their chamber and barrel flags do offer firearms rapid clear identification, and that could save lives. It's time for you to do everything you can to be a safe and responsible firearms owner. Head over to muzzlestick, M-U-Z-L-S-T-I-K dot com to place your order. One more time, that's muzzlestick, M-U-Z-L-S-T-I-K dot com. After all, we only have one life to live. Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News, where just a few minutes ago, some major headline news occurred out of the John Durham trial. We've all wondered for a very long time, what did Hillary Clinton know? When did she know it? Did she approve this whole Russia collusion thing or did she not? We know that from my earlier reporting and from the declassified documents that John Brennan, the CIA director, in July of 2016, briefed President Obama that there was an intercept intelligence overseas that Hillary Clinton, according to one of her foreign policy advisors, had approved an entire plan to dirty up Donald Trump, to contrive a Russia collusion scandal against Donald Trump, to distract from her own problems with the email scandal that was in her own life. And then we know two months after that, in September of 2016, the CIA sent the exact same warning to the FBI. Hey, guys, we know you're looking at this, but you should know Hillary Clinton may have approved this as a dirty trick. Despite that, of course, the investigation went on for three years until it finally ran out of any proof whatsoever that there was such collusion and Robert Mueller finally shut it down. But today, on the stand, unexpectedly, Robbie Muck, the campaign manager for Hillary Clinton 2016, Hillary for America 2016, was asked by the prosecutors and he gave a bombshell answer. Yes, Hillary Clinton personally approved the idea of taking the bogus Alpha Bank. Donald Trump has a secret communications channel with the Kremlin to the press. She approved doing that. She was behind it. She was in on it. She did give the American people a bad story an October surprise, as John Durant's prosecutor said earlier this week. That is a huge earth-shattering moment in the trial. And we're going to start off here in a few minutes. You're going to get to hear from my reporter, the Justin News reporter, on the scene at the trial who broke that story, who sent out that news alert. You probably got it in your email box on your smartphone a little bit ago. Natalia Middlestat's going to join us. She's going to tell us everything that's going on because there's been a lot of blockbuster moments, some from the judge, some from Mark Elias, who many people think through assessment under the bus. And then finally, some pretty big revelations from FBI fact witnesses, James Baker among them. Big stories, big important revelations. And Natalia's going to gift wrap them up and make it easy for you to digest as we come to the end of the first week of the first John Durham trial in the Russia collusion caper. And then after that, we have one of my great friends, and I think one of the great foreign policy thinkers in our country these days. Karen Skinner, former State Department official, former advisor to President Trump, now soon to join the Pepperdine University as a brand new professor out in California. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about NATO. We're going to talk about PATO, the idea of a Pacific alliance. We're going to talk about Finland and Sweden asking to join Turkey, trying to block it, the continuation of the Ukraine-Russia war. We're going to cover the globe pretty quickly with one of the fastest, smartest minds in foreign policy out there, Karen Skinner. Two great interviews back-to-back on a very busy and very newsworthy Friday afternoon. All right, let's take a quick commercial break here from our great partners, sponsors, advertisers. We'll be right back. First up with Natalia Middlestadt, followed by Karen Skinner. Two great guests on a very busy Friday afternoon. 
Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34 plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So, you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friends who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group, text Just News to 989898 right now. Folks, Field of Greens is the healthiest thing I do every day and I want you on this journey with me. Why? It's literally one scoop a day. It tastes great. I love the fruit flavors particularly and it's completely improved my life and my health. This is nutrition the way nature intended. When I began taking a hard look at why I wasn't feeling good and why I felt unhealthy, why I was gaining weight, why I was losing energy, it wasn't just because I had hit my 50s. No, it was because I wasn't getting the right amount of fruit and vegetables in my diet. And listen, it's, I'm just too busy to go to the store, clean up the vegetables, cook a, a vegetable dinners and make sure I hit the fruit. A field of greens stepped in. One scoop of powder in my drink or on my eggs in the morning and boom, I was off and feeling better. And suddenly I was losing weight. I was sleeping better. My metabolism went up. My blood sugar went down. My cholesterol went down and my weight went down. And my doctor said, hey, whatever you're doing, keep it doing. You know what that is? It's Field of Greens. That's what I've been doing. Field of Greens is radically different. Each organic fruit and vegetable was medically chosen to support heart and vital organ health. I trust Field of Greens to keep me healthy. I promise you, you're going to love this product. But if for any reason you don't, they'll give you 100% money back guarantee. Now, you're going to get 15% off your first order plus free rush shipping because of the incredible partnership we have here at Just the News with Brick House Nutrition and, of course, Field of Greens. All you got to do to take advantage of this offer, visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Don't wait. Go to fieldofgreens.com today. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS for 15% off. All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break live from the courthouse where the John Durham trial against Michael Sussman is underway is our own very own at Just the News. Great reporter, Natalia Middlestadt. Natalia, great to have you on. Hi, thanks for having me on. We have breaking news today. Robbie Mook, the campaign manager, came in as a prosecution witness. Tell us what he told the courtroom that got all those headlines and bells ringing just a few minutes ago. Yeah, so uh, former Hillary Clinton campaign manager, Robbie Mook, he was actually brought in as the defense's witness. He was scheduled out of turn due to scheduling conflicts. Ah. So he happened during the prosecution's case, technically. But um, but yeah, so he said uh, during cross-examination testimony today that um, Hillary Clinton had green-lighted the um, plan to go to the press regarding the allegation that there was a secret communications channel between Alpha Bank and the Trump Organization. Amazing. So she's behind it. Uh, these are these are these are questions that we've never been able to get answered. We know that President Obama was told in June of sixteen by John Brennan, the CIA director, Hillary Clinton approved a whole plan to dirty up Donald Trump. We know the FBI was told that in September. Now we know from her own campaign manager that Hillary Clinton approved at least this slice of the Russia collusion uh, false story, the Alpha Bank uh, server story, which we all know turned out to be not true. And the CIA may testify soon that it was contrived. But uh, from the uh, campaign manager's own mouth, that is a pretty big moment. There's been a couple other big moments. I thought you did a great job this morning kind of pulling out for people who aren't going stem to stern on this, kind of the five most important moments in the trial thus far. Mook would obviously be the new one. I know we put him at number one, but what are some of the others that have been important in the first four days of this trial? Yeah, so uh, Special FBI Agent Scott Hellman testified on Tuesday uh, regarding the uh, FBI's analysis of the DNS data, the internet data regarding the servers between the Alpha Bank and Trump organization. 
And according to uh, his analysis, within like a day or two of looking at the data, he quickly realized that the allegation of there being a secret communications link between the two servers didn't ring true at all. He said that the conclusions that the cyber experts, cybersecurity experts had come to, um, that was secret communications channel didn't make any sense. Um, and it seems they were not objective in viewing that data. Yeah. So that was definitely and the despite first Despite that, though, despite the fact that he wrote up a memo, they did keep investigating it for a while, right? Is that, if I remember that correctly? Yeah. So what happened was he had first gotten the information, and then the Chicago FBI branch was doing the broader Trump-Russia investigation. So then he passed his report along to them so they could continue looking at it. Right. Very interesting. All right. So that that's a big yep. one. Robbie Mook's yep. a big one. Uh, give me a couple more big ones. What, what else has happened? You've done such a good job covering this. We're so proud of you. Uh, tell our audience a couple of the other moments that caught your attention that really matter to the American public. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, another one was uh, former uh, Clinton campaign lawyer, Mark Elias. He, worked, he used to work for uh, Perkins Coey, the Democrat law firm. Uh, he said during his cross-examination on Wednesday, uh, quote-unquote, to ask Sussman if he went to the FBI on behalf of the campaign. So according to Elias, he believed from his standpoint that Michael Sussman, um, who's on trial, did not go to the FBI about the allegation on behalf of the Clinton campaign um, and that he didn't think Sussman told him about the meeting until after it occurred. Wow. Well, that's interesting. It uh, uh, There's some, some bus throwing, uh, people being thrown under the bus. Uh, people might look at Mook throwing Hillary in there, uh, Elias throwing Sussman in there. I know one thing that happened. The judge threw the idea that he was going to declare a mistrial under the bus. He said no way, right? Yeah, it was actually regarding that exact uh, line of questioning when uh, when Elias said, you have to ask Sussman, the defense asked for a mistrial, and the judge threw that notion out um, because it basically they, he answered it in uh, response to the defense's cross-examination. Yeah. He so said, that's kind of funny. If you didn't want it, you shouldn't ask for it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty mm-hmm. moment. All right, give me one mm-hmm. more. What's another favorite moment of yours that you think was very illuminating to the overall story? So uh, another interesting one was, Basically, Mark Elias also said that he didn't trust the FBI enough to bring them the Alpha Bank allegation, which, uh, ironically enough, Robbie Mook also said the same thing during his testimony today. Neither of them trusted going to the FBI with the Alpha Bank allegation, um, and they said it was because Director James Comey had taken unfair public stances, Hillary Clinton. Remarkable. Wow. That's mm-hmm. pretty big. And I guess the other important, because this is actually the most important factual thing, which is when James Baker testified, there's not any doubt in his mind from the text message and the conversations he had that Sussman lied to him and said, I'm not bringing this to you on behalf of a client, right? He was pretty clear on that, wasn't he? Yes, he said not only from the text message Sussman sent him, but also during the meeting that they had, that Sussman had clearly stated he was not there on behalf of a client. And Baker said even... If Sussman had said he was on behalf of a client, he would have totally changed how he would have dealt with the information. Yeah, that goes to the second most important question, right? So first is, was it a lie? Seems pretty strong now that it, it was, it's a clear falsehood, right? And the second piece mm-hmm. of it is, is it material? Because that's what the defense is going to spend all next week and the, uh, at the end of the trial saying, well, it, it's a lie without a foul, right? It was a foul without any harm. What Baker said, and I think uh, the earlier agent said, which is if they had known this was coming from the Hillary Clinton campaign or people around them, they would have treated it with greater suspicion and, and may not have even opened up on it in the way they did, correct? Yes, that's absolutely correct. Yeah. Wow, amazing. Well, we are so lucky here at Justin News, and anyone who reads the Justin News website knows how good you are, Natalia. You've done a great job on this trial. We love having you on, and I guess lunch break is almost over, so you got to go back and cover the rest of the trial today, right? Yep, that is true. <laughs> no rest for the hardworking. Well, uh, Natalia, a big thank you on behalf of the entire Justin News family. You're doing a great job. Your coverage has been fantastic, and people are getting to see the most important news through your great work each day. So thanks a lot. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Have a good rest of the day out of that trial. Folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Karen Skinner, one of the great foreign policy experts in this country, served for President Trump, is headed to Pepperdine University. We're going to cover that. We're going to talk about NATO, Russia, Ukraine, China. We're going to travel the world in 30 minutes with Karen Skinner right after this commercial break. 
Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay-up letters. Millions, I say. Then it's up to the 20,000 new IRS enforcement agents to find you. Why the IRS targets you and not millionaires? Well, because millionaires have tax lawyers. You don't, you'll pay up. Plus interest and penalties. You need Tax Network USA, and you need them now. Tax Network USA has brilliant war room strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. Like a preferred direct line to the IRS, they know which agents to deal with and who to avoid. It's not all bad news for you because Tax Network USA learned of a special limited time IRS offer. They're willing to waive $1 billion in penalties if you qualify. So schedule your free confidential consultation to see if you qualify for this limited time IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit tnusa.com slash justnews. That's tnusa.com slash justnews. Hey folks, it's John Solomon here. Today, I want to shine a light on AMAC, an organization who's dedicated to America's seniors, but is vital for conservatives of all ages. AMAC stands out by not only advocating for senior issues, but also by pushing for conservative values that affect us all. By joining, you're not just supporting our senior citizens, you're part of a movement defending the freedoms that made this country great and to ensure that we secure our nation's future. Plus, membership brings you exclusive benefits like discounts on travel, dining, and entertainment, and of course, special insurance rates, one of the things I like. Regardless of your age, if you're driven to preserve freedom, AMAC welcomes you. This is about uniting youthful vigor with the wisdom of experience and our quest to keep this country great. Sign up now for amac.us slash justnews. And for a limited time, you get a free gift membership for someone else who shares your love for our great nation. Don't miss out on this chance to make a difference from AMAC. Join today at amac.us slash justnews. That's amac.us slash justnews. And extend the invitation to a friend or family member for free. What a great opportunity. All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break. I love having this next guest on. Of course, she was a very important advisor to President Trump. She is the brand new professor of international studies and politics at Pepperdine University and one of the country's greatest foreign policy and national security experts. Joining me right now, as she has a few times before, Karen Skinner, great to have you on today. Thanks for inviting me, John. It's always a pleasure um, to have a, a, a serious conversation with someone who's in the journalism world, and there aren't that many, so this is significant <laughs> well, for me. Well, first off, congratulations on this new gig. Uh, tell me a little bit about what you're going to be doing at Pepperdine. They're very lucky to have you. Oh, well, I'm excited. I'm thrilled. I, you know, I was born in Chicago, but I grew up in the Bay Area and right. have lived in Southern California. So this is a return home to me and for me, and I'm excited because the university is committed to faith and freedom. And we have so many American universities and colleges um, that started um, with, that, um, with that mandate and mission and have had mission creep in, in a very progressive direction. And it will be hard um, to reverse those institutions. But Pepperdine is holding the line for faith and freedom, and in particular, the Graduate School of Public Policy, where I will um, be a faculty member, I think is a leading light in the public policy dialogue based on those principles with an explicit commitment to Western ideas, Western values, but is also inclusive and open to dialogue. Um, and there's something else that was really attractive to me. I don't know if you remember James Q. Wilson. Sure. He was a Harvard Harvard um, professor right. who um, studied bureaucracy and American political institutions. Um, he admitted me to Harvard at 19 for the doctoral program in the government department. I didn't know that. But he, ended, he did, but he ended his career at Pepperdine at the policy school where he helped developed the initial curriculum, and much of that curriculum exists today. In particular, um, a great books um, dimension to teaching public policy. No other graduate school of public policy uses great books as a way to understand the underlying philosophies and the big ideas that face us today. So I'm excited about contributing 
to that um, part of the curriculum and also trying to figure out what are the new additions to the canon. Um, there are many fine American writers um, now who are talking about what's going on in the world. I would say Mark Levin's book on American um, Marxism. Yeah, it's really well done, it's isn't it? Really, it, it, it tells us a story that most don't know about the deep roots um, in American higher education and in K through 12 um, that have to do with really kind of anti-Americanism and anti-Western ideas. Yeah, uh, and it's funny, I was thinking of James Q. Wilson, Broken Windows Theory guided an entire generation of law enforcement and urban development for the good. So many things he contributed. It's uh, such an honor to know the connection between you and he. That's amazing, I didn't know that. I want to take you to the European stage where obviously the war between Ukraine and Russia continues to rage on, though Ukraine seems to be holding its own quite well. But the fallout from the war is really quite remarkable. Uh, If you believe Putin, he started this war because he was afraid of NATO expansion. All he's managed to do is actually encourage NATO expansion. Your reaction to Sweden and Finland saying they want in uh, in the NATO world, welcoming welcoming them. Well, you know, to answer that question, I have to go back to 2015, 2016, when these countries were, in fact, you know, um, reestablishing their military. I think they sent something coming, um, more investment in armaments and defense. While they were on, in, in the high north in Europe doing that work, Donald Trump was in the middle of the country beginning his presidential campaign, um, talking about NATO, of all things. And the foreign policy experts, and I may have said this in the past on your program, but the foreign policy experts on both sides of the aisle said, what a waste of time for a presidential campaign. (laughs) Thank God he campaigned in states like mine, Pennsylvania, where I've been a voter for 22 years, when he talked about burden sharing and about NATO. I think Finland and Sweden really represent what Trump was beginning to talk about in his campaign in a way that no one really anticipated. He wasn't just talking about the need for burden sharing and reaching the commitment of 2% of GDP for defense. I think underneath all of that, he was saying that these countries need to be ready for the 21st century and the challenges that come um, that are coming. And in particular, if you at least reach 2% of GDP toward defense, that means you're um, investing in exotic and new technologies, that you are doing more in R&D. There's a deeper story to what Trump was trying to say. Spotlights are on this are Sweden and Finland. They're actually ready to go. It will take probably until the fall for the 30 NATO countries um, to go through the entire debate process and paper process of admitting them. I would suggest speed it up if you can. But these countries are um, just the, I think, will be spectacular um, members of NATO. They're democracies. They've got a a commitment to market economies. They have demonstrated a protection of minorities. And they have superior defense capabilities that are growing. What else could we ask for? These are countries that for 200 years basically stayed neutral and are seeing with a level of clarity what is happening in this new century around European security. They will point the way for us. We will learn for them. I'm all in for admitting them to the world's most durable um, security alliance. Yeah, it's funny. I sat with President Trump about six, eight weeks ago. We had a really extensive, very policy-oriented interview. Sometimes he wants to talk politics and grievances and things, but he really wanted to get into the policy of what the Trump doctrine looks like in the next five years, and he talked very much about how important it was not only to get the European nations to pay their fair share, but to put the same amount of intellect and uh, foreign policy heft behind it as their money. And he said he felt like he had really done that. And and then we pivoted to another interesting conversation, with, and, and I asked him, 
given that the success you had in, in getting NATO more stabilized, getting the Europeans more engaged in it, is there room for a PATO? And he said, what's a PATO? I said, a Pacific Alliance. And he said, oh, absolutely. That's the next thing we're going to be working on. How do we counter the malign influence and military aggression of China? You know, maybe we put NATO there or maybe we create a new alliance. Uh, but he was very interested. And he said, the key to what I did in it, it wasn't just getting people to pay the fair share, it was getting them to invest the intellectual capital in their own defense of their own continent. And I feel like I really did that as part of this. And so it's very interesting, Karen, because he says exactly what you're saying. He, he gets why that was such an important accomplishment on his watch. It's really remarkable. So um, I love the conversation that you had um, with, with, with Donald Trump. And I think um, very few people um, even the um, expert community um, will take him seriously on the Trump doctrine. Most believe that there isn't one. Yeah. During my time at the State Department, I went around um, the globe and around D.C., the think tank world, and I talked about um, the Trump doctrine. And there, some were really offended that I would take it seriously enough as an intellectual proposition. And And then I would lay out the pillars. And then I would say, this is what's um, working in terms of the, the pillars of the Trump doctrine, and here's where we need reform. And my view had always been coming into the administration that every principal should attempt to turn the president's hunches and instincts into hypotheses. They didn't even want to go that far. But I mentioned this because his idea of an Indo-Pacific type NATO um, is something that he actually started. Um, yep. And, you the know, dialogue, we just right? didn't have yeah. more time to complete the, uh, the, the quad. The quad, um, that's it, you know, the quad, yeah. The, the quad precedes Trump, but in terms of India, um, Japan, Australia, and the U.S. forming a loose regional alliance um, to counter China, but also to figure out additional common interests that could bring along um, the, the other Asian economies. What was distinct about Trump in the... Um, in, um, in the quad, in the quad work that was done, is that it gave he gave life to it. It moved. It uh, he opened the door for deeper conversations at every level of government, even my level at the policy planning um, um, community around um, the world. I was beginning to meet with my opposite numbers in the quad, and we were be, were planning activities. Amazing. I just so. I'm, um, I'm so disappointed that Trump's not back in on the foreign policy side. We would have been moving on all of these oh, yeah. um, new regional partnerships, which is a pillar of the Trump doctrine. Yep. Um, and we would not have the war in Ukraine. I really do feel confident in saying that the war in Ukraine would not have happened under Donald Trump's watch. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people on both sides of the aisle uh, say that. Maybe Republicans say it a little more loudly, but there are a lot of Democrats that say it under murmured breath. I think they understand that the lack of clarity that the Biden administration had in those early months gave, and also the failure of Afghanistan, gave the red light that I think Putin was, or the green light that Putin was always looking to, to have an excuse. And it's going to be a long time before we uh, fully appreciate the consequences of that. I want to go back to NATO, Finland, uh, and, and Sweden for a second. Turkey is uh, exercising its muscle a little bit. Do you think that we can work out those issues that Turkey will eventually be satisfied and, and uh, allow this to happen? I hope so, but I don't know if Turkey will ever be satisfied. Turkey has to make the fundamental decision to be fully embedded in the West. Yep. Turkey is a unique country. There are a few countries in the world like it. Given their, and this is something that Sam Huntington talked about, I think in a brilliant way, in the late 1980s. Turkey is a country that geographically can go east or west, north or south. And that's an important geographic position to be in. The goal of, in the 21st century should have been for NATO, for the EU, which should have, I believe, should have admitted Turkey in the early 2000s, is to keep that nation moving north and west. But that was never a strategy. And I think part of what we're seeing with Erdogan now is that over multiple U.S. administrations, and other um, um, administrations throughout European capitals, there wasn't a clear-eyed attempt to say, you're with us, you have to be with us if you want to stay with us. We, w we wavered. And so Erdogan and his regime have become used to 
um, cutting an, uh, an arms deal with the Russians, having a slap on the hand from NATO, but then continuing on. I think this is going to be a test about whether Turkey wants to be isolated from the West or part of the West. It doesn't have a strong argument against the expansion of NATO for these two countries. It says they harbor terrorists um, and the Swedes and the Finns are prepared to meet with them and have serious dialogue. But um, they are not. Um, Erdogan says, don't don't show up. Don't waste your time. I think this is about isolation of Turkey. There's isolation of Russia. There's isolation of North Korea. Does Turkey want to be in this club? This is their moment. Yeah, you're exactly right. And they've triangulated for, uh, to use an old Bill Clinton, uh, Dick Morrister, and they triangulated for the last few years and they kind of bounce people off each other to get the best deal for themselves. But I think you're right. If someone had made a clear overture, hey, Turkey, if you're with us, this is the cost of being with us, but here's the benefit. They probably would be far more in our camp these days than we did. That was probably a missed opportunity starting in the Bush years, I, I, I would assume. The, the Obama years only exacerbated it. Fascinating to see. There was an amazing moment, I thought, last week. And in fact, I'm, he's going to be on our TV show later this week. But Mike Pompeo, your old boss, visited the headquarters of Iran's largest opposition group, the MEK, to show his support not only for the MEK, but for those Iranians currently on the ground protesting against uh, How big are these protests in Iran right now to potentially putting the regime on notice that their hold on power is slipping? I don't know exactly, um, you know, the um, the truth in terms of the numbers of those um, protests and exactly um, what they mean in terms of the, the regime taking them seriously. But they've been persistent over time. Yeah. And um, Tehran has um, quashed them as much as they possibly can. And they never seem to complete the project. Um, so I would take them very seriously. Um, I'm a little less impressed with U.S. former or um, officials or current ones trying to enter the mix of this. Yeah. I think there are a lot of dimensions, even about the MEK, that we don't understand. Sure. They don't represent the full range of Iranian protests. Right. And there are a lot oh, of yeah, different factions. Yep. And, and so what I think our job is to do is to support the concept and the reality um, of um, Iranian protest, their right to protest, their right to freedom, their their desire for um, potential regime change, all of these things. I think we can support um, their their right to what we call First Amendment rights. Um, but picking one side versus the other, I don't think is where we want to be. I think we can often lose credibility um, and lose some of the levers we have because it is a fluid um, 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 situation. And, you know, the Iranian expat community in the U.S. is one of the most well-educated, sophisticated, sure commitment um, to freedom. Um, many are, are strong um, Republicans, and they have um, a range of viewpoints as well as I have seen. Um, so I support them. Um, I think the Iranian regime has is, is, is been in one way or another on life support for a long time. Yep. Um, I think Trump made it harder for their survival. Um, and um, this administration is making it easier. But the march of history is not on their side. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Quickly, on the Iran nuclear deal, do you think uh, there's going to be a deal or do you think it falls apart? I hope there's no deal. Right. Um, because um, the, the and this is the complete irony, which makes, you know, um, U.S. foreign policy and international relations um, somewhat of, you know, a um, SNL moment um, to have um, the Russians part of the Iran nuclear deal discussions on the one side and then the greatest uh, um, um, violator of international norms like sovereignty, political and territorial integrity, starting a war on the other. The United States, you know, one of the, the, the um, great honors of my life was serving our country. And what I learned um, during that time that you can't learn in a textbook is that the United States is really the big actor in the room. And people look to us. Even those who don't like us look to the United States for leadership. When we don't provide it, outcomes are just worse for the world. 
And if we get an Iran nuclear deal, it's just worse for the world. Every signal is terrible. And so um, I'm hoping we don't get a deal because I don't think it's a a great signal for the world. I don't think it will work. Um, And I don't I think the administration, there are honest people who want in that in the Biden administration to take the Iran nuclear issue off the table. I think our our my disagreement with them is how we get there. And so I don't think they're wrong. And even, you know, it's easy to bash the Biden foreign policy team. I know many of these people. They're they're smart. They're well-educated. Many of them are thoughtful. They're working from a different theory. One. Number two, I don't think that they have fully grasped the change in the international system since the 20th century. Trump did two things. He worked from a different theory. And the theory he happened to work from was related to different geopolitical realities. He wasn't tied to the status quo thinking. And the world is so different. And I do believe we all want to, quote unquote, contain Iran. But the way we want to get there is very different. Trump wanted to put the squeeze on the Iranians, and he wanted to clarify for the Iranians that he meant business. The Biden administration wants to do a lot more of making nice and negotiating, much in the way that Kissinger and Nixon did in the 1970s with the Soviets. This approach historically for the U.S. has never worked. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it's so important. I want to take to one last place because you are one of the most articulate people I know on this issue, and that is protecting American sovereignty. As the Biden administration unravels a lot of the foreign policy successes and edicts that drove the uh, America First foreign policy agenda, they're beginning to subjugate the United States sovereignty to NGOs, to uh, to other countries, to globalist sort of uh, institutions. How concerning is that? And what's the best way for America First conservatives to uh, try to trip that up and stop that? John, I'm so glad you asked this question because um, it is the, um, I think, the, the real story of the Biden foreign policy. It is the real story of President Trump's foreign policy. And what do I mean by that? Um, I did an off-the-record briefing with the media um, my first few days at the State Department. And the spokeswoman at that point, Heather Nauert, um, took me into a room. And I think she was a bit nervous because here comes a professor um, who's going to talk to the media and doesn't know how. Um, I've been doing media for years, but she was kind of right because I started talking about what I thought the Trump doctrine was and all these people couldn't believe I was saying it. It was right before UNGA September 2018 UN General Assembly meeting. And I said, for Trump, the key issue in foreign policy is national sovereignty. And I said, if you listen to what he has said in the past couple of years, He believes that the nation state is the core unit of analysis in the international system. I have never heard him say that the U.S. should pull out of every international organization, that we should blow up every NGO that we can, that we should pull out of every international treaty that we've been part of. But what he wants is to examine those treaties, agreements, understandings, and institutions to see is where and how much U.S. national interests exist. And he has a rigorous definition of the national interest around political and territorial um, integrity um, and, the, and the ability to protect the life and liberty of people within the nation state and provide economic um, prosperity and opportunity. And so I said all this, and I got soon, and I think I could see the State Department um, public affairs staff getting nervous that I, you know, go down a rabbit hole. And But I kept talking, and I said, this is what I think Trump is adding to the foreign policy community more than any 21st century president. He's taking us back to first principle, the purpose of the nation state in the first place and the purpose of U.S. of foreign policy for any nation. Then we went to UNGA. And he gave a speech at, at the U.N. I remember that. And, I think, and that was his second one. And I was on the, an elevator with some of the reporters. And they said, you were talking about sovereignty. That's right. He was, that's what he talked about. If you read every UNGA speech by Trump and you read nothing else, 
you get a body of foreign policy literature and theory and perspective that is um, prepared to protect the U.S. and the justification for pulling out of the Paris Climate Accord um, for the Trans-Pacific Partnership um, from the Human Rights Council at the U.N., it wasn't just reactionary. It was actually conceptual and theoretical. And he said all of these agreements um, do not protect the national interest. The Biden administration has not provided that kind of body of thinking. Where, However, President Biden has, during the years that he was um, um, you know, out of power after the Obama administration, um, gave a number of important speeches about marking off democratic regimes from authoritarian, and that being the key challenge in the 21st century. I think he got that right. The other part, though, that he missed was international organizations make that mark off a lot more difficult. Trump was moving the world toward more democracy without ever by without ever really taking on the authoritarian democratic fight as directly as Biden has, at least rhetorically. What he focused on was sovereignty. Some said, well, he doesn't care about having more democracies. He's not making that case. I think he thought that was something that comes later. If you can't protect your state, you can't live another day to be a democracy and fight. And so this administration, I think, is getting it all wrong. And where it's had its biggest biggest success in terms of rolling back Trump-era international initiatives is in the um, arena of World Health Organization, Paris Climate Accord. And these, I think, are going to be ones that voters have a lot to say about in 2024 because we will have so much empirical data about America being compromised in the next two years. I I just really am, I'm I'm sure of that. It's amazing. And, you know, it's interesting because defining the American interest in foreign policy was the guiding principle of foreign policy, certainly since post-World War I, and I, I would argue through the end of the Bush, uh, second Bush administration, some people argue about Clinton. I think Clinton became more of a globalist after he was president than he was when he was in there. But the um, the Obama-Biden years and now the Biden years have really moved the concept that the global interest is more important than the American interest, and Donald Trump is in, and the conservative movement has been the counterbalance to that uh, where do you think the American people are on that issue? I mean, obviously, they're probably more worried right now about baby formula and gas prices and inflation. But when it comes to foreign policy, I think uh, where do most people come down when they when they're, when they're presented the two visions for the world? I think, you know, this what you just mentioned, baby formula, gas prices, you know, and add in there, you know, the, the disaster of K through 12 yes. and uh, what's going on in our country. I think they're connected to the issues of sovereignty and national interest. What's happening now and what I think your program is doing is helping Americans to connect the dots. This is not about me just driving to the gas station and saying $5 a gallon. It's saying that something's happening to our country that makes us less safe, that makes us less capable um, to defend ourselves. And I think they're beginning to see it. And I think it's not... What's, what's happening, and it's, it's, it's quite organic, and I hope to see it in the polls um, in the next couple of years, is that Americans are shedding the rhetoric and concern of political parties and their machines and looking at the survival of America. Mm-hmm. That's what I think Trump contributed, contributed during his presidency and where he is still relevant right now. You don't have to be in love with Donald Trump and what he says and how he says it, but look at the policy performance and look at how he was connecting the dots. And Americans are starting to connect the dots that way themselves. And they're rejecting um, the idea of just strict partisanship. We're seeing that in the middle of the country. We're seeing that in the you know, um, in the Pennsylvania um, Republican primary for Senate, which we're still trying to sort out. Right. A lot of this, every candidate was trying to be more America first than the next. It's amazing, isn't but, it? Yeah. And, 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 and some who had said horrible things about Trump um, just a couple of years ago, what I think they were trying to tap into, and they don't understand that there is a deep substance to it, 
is that Americans really care about a strong America at home and abroad. And they reject globalism because globalism doesn't believe in a strong America. It believes in a weakened America and a more leveling of the international system where all states are quote unquote equal. And that's just not possible. The United States has a unique history as the world's most fully functioning multi-ethnic democracy. Most countries could not pull off what we pull off. We show our problems to the world. We, we debate them in the public square. We don't throw people in prison if they dissent against their leaders. Um, and so I think Americans are coming back to those first principles. And you're absolutely right. World War I and World War II, the fallout of those worlds were the most, some of the most productive periods for the United States in terms of defining what the West and the future would look like. And um, Donald Trump, I think, has been the biggest defender and, and of, of, of doing that since Ronald Reagan was president. And indeed, I think Reagan was the last before Trump yeah. to really outline what it means to defend the West and to really understand the, um, that we were in an ideological battle. Um, I don't think most presidents have understood the ideological nature of what we're facing at home and abroad the way Reagan did. And I think Reagan understood it largely because of his time as president of the Screen Actors Guild. Of course. Where he had, you know, direct contact with communists um, and their tactics, even their threats against him and his own mother and father. Um, and so Trump understands these for reasons I don't know. Some of it's, in, you know, instinctive. I have to study the record more in his life. Um, but he understood it. Yeah, and we're... And he, he imparted it to the American public. That may be his biggest gift. Yeah, he had a marketing gift to break it down into slogans and into concepts that made it uh, hit home. He's so much like Reagan in policy and very different in personality. It's so it's such an interesting uh, uh, contrast and comparison when you look at the two. But they had a lot of similar uh, policy concepts, and and I was I think Trump dusted off the Reagan agenda and made it 21st century in a lot of ways. I think that's how historians, when they get over all the silliness, will probably look at at this period. It's amazing. Karen, I now know how lucky uh, Pepperdine is to have you there. Uh, this discussion is so fun for me. I love having you on, and uh, you, make, uh, you make the world a lot more easy to understand. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, and I look forward to being back on. You bet. Count me That's in. That's a certainty. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank folks. you. Thank you. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. It is time to wrap up and go into this extraordinary weekend. It's a very important weekend. And we're going to take some time to catch our breath to figure out what week two of the Durham trial is going to do. But as we do that, I wanted to introduce you to one of our great partners. I run a small business. HR is a very important part of it, and it's a cumbersome part of it. It takes time. You need someone who lives and breathes it to make sure that you get it right. And that's very important because if you don't get it right, just one complaint against your company can turn your world upside down, can turn your budget upside down. The good news is that Bambi, B-A-M-B-E-E, -E, Bambi is here to help small business owners like you and me and others implement good HR practices. Bambi is an HR platform 
built for businesses like yours and mine, the small business pin. So you can automate the most important HR practices and get your own dedicated HR manager. That's the really cool thing. Now you say, oh, John, that's going to cost a ton. No, it can cost as little as $99 a month. That is an incredible deal because that's what Bambi does. It gives you your own dedicated HR manager. The plans start at $99 a month. No hidden fees. You can cancel anytime. You run your business. You let Bambi, run your HR. You're going to get a lot more peace of mind doing that to check this out. If you're a business owner like me, check this out. Get this done. It takes a huge burden off you and gives you a real pro, a best-in-class HR pro at your fingertips 24-7. So if you want to do that, go to Bambi.com. Let me go B-A-M-B-E-E.com slash Just News. You know how that works, the Just News thing. You go right there for right now for your free HR audit doesn't cost you anything. They'll just give you a sense of what they can do for you. One more time, let me give you that Bambi, B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash Just News. Get started today. Take this burden off your mind. Get back to the fun parts of running your business. All right, folks, that wraps it up. We'll have a great show tonight. Kevin Brock, the former FBI intelligence director, is going to join us at the top of the Just the News, Not Noise television show with Amanda Head and I tonight. He's going to give us his impressions of the first week of the Durham trial. Then Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, the man on the front lines of the immigration fight against the Biden administration. Oh, by the way, he's also running for re-election. Got a runoff with George P. Bush next Tuesday. He's going to be on. And then we're going to meet, introduce you to one of the new nominees for North Carolina's 13th Congressional District. His name is Bo Hines. He got a big boost from Donald Trump. And now he won his primary and he's going to go forth in the general election in a Republican district likely to be the next congressman from North Carolina's 13th Congressional District. Bo Hines, you're going to get to meet him tonight. And oh, by the way, you can at any time dial in and see our Ravi Award winner. We give out that award every couple of weeks to a really bad example of bad behavior in america we got a fun one tonight i think you'll like it all right folks that wraps it up another edition of john solomon reports into the sunset thank you for listening check out justthenews.com we're gonna have more breaking news all day on the durham trial so check that out 24 7 you'll be in good shape and hey give those guys at bambi a try you're gonna really love it bambi.com slash just news it'll take a lot of burden off of your business responsibilities have a great weekend god bless you we'll be back monday with another edition don't forget to check out the special sunday edition got an all-star lineup there as well god bless good night we'll see you on monday Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34 plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friend who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group, text Just News to 989898 98 98 right now.